1 Samuel chapter number 16. I had several thoughts in mind for this morning, but uh, I couldn't get away from the message here, and I believe that this is uh, God's will for this morning. Uh, the singers uh, just shared with us in song about the coming of the Lord. Brother Barton's talked about his coming. He is coming. I heard an old preacher up in uh, Central West Virginia, 96 years old, Brother Ezra Higgins preached on the second coming, and he said, it's the surest thing I know. And I said, amen. There's a lot of things in this world you can't count on, but one thing you can count on, he is coming back again. And I want to share with you on that subject this morning. But look in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse number 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called them Benadab, and made him to pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Then notice verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. <laughs> All right, you can be seated. In First Samuel chapter number 16, there is uh, an air of anticipation. There is a, an assurance of a coronation. Amen. There is the expectancy of a king to come. A new king is going to be crowned to sit upon the throne in Israel. This is sure. And then there's also an attitude of determination. When it has been uh, announced that God is going to anoint a new king over his people, in verse number 11, Samuel says, Go and get him and, and bring him back. And in the meantime, we will not sit down until he comes. Now notice one thing here in the very beginning. Here's a group of Jewish people who are 
patiently waiting for a king. He is away tending another flock. Amen. And for all these years, the Jewish people have been waiting for their king to come, everybody. All those years, he's been busy tending another flock. Amen. And thank God for the privilege to be a part of the flock of God. But notice, there is no doubt, it is certain that he will come. And in the meantime, the watchword is, we will not sit down until he comes. I want to share this morning on that thought, and that's good advice and a good determination in the lives of God's people today in the church. While we are the flock of God and while we're waiting for our king to come, we need to be much about our father's business, not sit down until he comes. Let's pray. Our father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in the house of the Lord this morning. God, we thank you for how our hearts have already been made to rejoice in the good things of God. Lord, you blessed us in so many ways. We, we don't know how to say thank you adequately for all that you've done for us. God, we just thank you not only that you touched us, but that you touch us again and again. And Lord, we need your touch this morning. We pray that that divine touch of God would be upon this service. Lord, I pray this morning that you would take your word and challenge our hearts. I pray, oh God, that you'd challenge me as a preacher. Challenge these men of God. Challenge us as the people of God. Challenge us as Christian workers and servants to be much about the Lord's business until the day when he will come. Now, Lord, I know already in my heart that I can't preach without you. And I need you this morning to come and do for me what I cannot do for myself. And for a little while, make us a preacher and use us for your glory. And Lord, we'll, get, we'll give you praise for all that you have done and are doing and are going to do. And we'll give you the glory for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Here in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, they're waiting for the king to come. Notice that the advice of the man of God is hurry and fetch him and we will wait uh, for his coming. We will not sit down until he comes. Now we're living in a day, and I don't even have to tell you about it, we're living in a day when all around us men are sitting down on the job. There are those who are dropping out and falling by the wayside. There are those who are quitting for all the various reasons. Some quit because of difficulties. It's just too hard. Others because of trials. They just can't face them. Some quit because of affliction. Others because of sickness and suffering. Some quit because of discouragement and disappointment. Some quit because of what they see going on in the world around them. Some quit because of what they see going on in the church around them. Amen. Some quit because of other people. Some quit because of problems of every kind, because of broken hearts and broken lives. Some quit because of their losses, whether financial or physical or even the losses of their loved ones. Some quit because of pre the pressures are just too great and they say there's no use and they throw in the towel and they give it up and they quit. But can I say this morning that Jesus will return? The King is coming. The hour is growing near. Time is running out. And our determination and our battle cry as the people of God on the threshold of the King's return should be we will not sit down 
until he comes. Now, there are some real reasons why we should not sit down until he comes. And I want to share them with you here this morning. I think we should not sit down until he comes because of who he is. Think this morning about who he is. I mean, there are some men that you might serve in, as far as the world is concerned that you might quit on and it may not make any difference whatsoever. But consider who he is. Now, in our text, they're waiting for the return of David. And David here pictures the seed, the promised seed, the son who is to come. The earthly David is a picture of the heavenly David. The earthly king is a picture of the heavenly king. Notice who he is. He is, first of all, the son of Jesse. Samuel said, I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to put on the throne uh, after Saul. And I think about the prophecy in Isaiah chapter number 11 of the Lord Jesus Christ, which says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And we know these, this prophecy to be a prophecy of the coming of our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And notice what it says about this son of Jesse. With righteousness he will judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. He will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked or the wicked one. One day he's coming in power and glory to put down all the forces of evil and to destroy the wicked one and to rule and to reign in righteousness. And so he is identified as the son of David. Notice secondly that he is the man from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, you know, is the city of David. It was his birthplace as it was the birthplace of his father before him. You remember Boaz who had property there in Bethlehem. Boaz whose son was Obed, whose son was Jesse, whose son was David. And so like his fathers before him, he is the man from Bethlehem. But it just so happens that the prophet wrote these words, But thou Bethlehem, Judea, though thou be least among all the princes of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel. And when the Magi came from the east, asking, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They went to the scriptures and they said, It has to be Bethlehem. Amen. Yes. And so like uh, King David, our Lord, King Jesus, is the man from Bethlehem. And by the way, Bethlehem means the, the house of bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, whereof if a man eat, he shall never die. Not only is David here the man from Bethlehem, but he is the man after God's own heart. Did you notice what the Lord said? He said, you go and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king, for I have found me a king, a man after my own heart. He's a man who's not going to do his own will, but he's going to do the will of God. And so it is the Lord Jesus did not come to do his own will. He said, I am not come to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And he never faltered from finishing the work of his heavenly father. He prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. And when he came, he came to not quit. Amen. He came to do the work and to finish the work 
that the Father gave him to do. I thought about in infancy when Herod gave the order for all of the, uh, the baby boys to be slain. That would have been a good time to bail out, amen. Uh, I thought about later at home in Nazareth when the members of his own synagogue led him out to the brow of the city and would have cast him headlong over the cliff. And it said that he just, that would have been a good time to quit too. But he turned and walked through the midst of them. I thought about there in the desert when he was face to face with the devil and at his weakest moment as far as the flesh was concerned, starving, if you will, after 40 days with nothing to eat. That would have been a good time to quit. But he pointed his finger in the face of the devil and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. I thought about when his own brothers came to get him and take him away from the crowd because they thought he had, he had uh, flipped out. They thought he was crazy. But, he's, he, but he said uh, in the same midst, uh, they said, your brothers and your mother are waiting for you outside. They wanted to get him out so he wouldn't be an embarrassment to them. But he looked around at the crowd and said, who is my mother or my brother? But he that doeth the will of my father. All of these are my brethren. All of this is my family. Amen. That would have been a good time to quit when your own family thinks you've lost it. The scribes and the Pharisees accused him and constantly tested him and followed him and conspired against him to slay him. That would have been a good time to quit, but he never quit. When Peter denied him and Judas betrayed him and there on Calvary when the Father turned his face from him, that would have been a good time to give up or to quit. But the Lord Jesus was faithful all the way because he was a man after God's own heart. Amen. And so I have found me a man after my own heart. He came to do the work of God and to finish his work. And then notice because of who he is, he's also a good shepherd. They said, Where, why, here are all the sons of Jesse at the feast. Are not all thy sons here? Are these not all thy sons? Are these all thy children? And he said, no, there is one more. He's not here. He, he's not sitting down. He's not taking it easy. He's not laid back. He's not at the feast enjoying a good time. He's out on the hillside with the sheep. He's out there busily tending the flock of God. Amen. And so when the others were at ease, he was busy. He was on guard. He was on duty tending the flock of God. That's because he's a good shepherd. And thank God for the good shepherd that one day left the 99 in the safety of the fold and went after that one lost sheep that was out on the hillside hungry and, and in despair and came to where it was and found it, searched diligently until he found it, laid it on his own shoulders and carried it all the way home. That's where he found me one day. That's where he found you one day out in the desert, dark and wild, ready to perish. But he came looking just for you and just for me. He said the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he came to lay down his life for his sheep. He put his own life on the line. Now, you may quit for someone else, but for someone who has risked his own life for you, we cannot sit down until he comes because of who he is. We can't sit down until he comes because he's the, he's the ruddy one. Did you notice what it said there about David? He sent and brought him. Now, he was ruddy. 
And, and the word ruddy really means of a red countenance, red face, probably even red-headed. Maybe freckles and all, amen. But he was red. He was red in his birth and he was red in his life. And he, he was so because it marked him out. It distinguished him as a link in a red chain. There was a scarlet thread or a scarlet chain that ran all the way from the beginning when God, when God scooped up a hand of red clay from the, from the Eden and from it he formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul and God called him Adam, which means red, Adam, which means a red one. And from Adam came then Seth, and then from Seth came, came the others, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. And then finally another link in the red chain, and his name was David. Whose name just happened to mean beloved, amen. And then from David, so the chain came down until one day another baby that was born, who was God's beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he was the final link in that red chain. And you say, was Jesus ruddy? Well, let's go to the garden and see him there. As he prays in agony on the ground and his sweat is like great drops of blood. And we see him as the ruddy one there in Gethsemane that night. Let's go to Gabbatha and see him at the whipping post when they took the cat of nine tails and literally ripped his flesh from his bones and see him bleeding there as he walks away, beaten with many stripes, and see him as the red one there. Then see him as he takes that cross and walks up Golgotha and there lays down on the cross and they put the nails in his hands and his feet and with the thorns in his brow, they lift him up between the heavens and the earth and the red blood streams flow down. And we see him there as the ruddy one, red with the blood, the, the blood of redemption, the blood of, a, of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. We will not sit down until he comes because of who he is. He's the bloody one. We will not sit down because, uh, until he comes because of who he is because look at what it says. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance. Now, not only was he ruddy, but he was handsome. He was beautiful to look upon. Talking about King David, the earthly David who foreshadows or pictures the heavenly David, the heavenly king to come. And not only was he the bloody one, and not only was Calvary an ugly sight, but there on the cross there's a beauty that we cannot describe. The scripture does say that we hid, as it were, our faces from him. No form, no comeliness that we should desire him. And Calvary was an ugly sight. But the same prophet said, praise God, one day we shall see the king in his beauty. And he's coming as the glorious one. Amen. He's coming as the one who is altogether lovely. In the Song of Solomon, the daughters of Jerusalem asked the Shulamite girl, What is thy beloved more than any other beloved? What do you see in that boy that's so special about him? She said, Well, to begin with, my beloved is white and ruddy and chiefest among ten thousand. 
Amen. He's white, he's holy and pure, but he's ruddy and taking our sins upon himself and bleeding and dying for them. And he is the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. His head is as most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes like the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly said. And she goes on to say, he is altogether lovely. You can't find anything wrong with my beloved. You, you can't point out any, any imperfections in him. He is the one who is faultless. He is the one who is peerless. He is the one who is above all others. He is the one who is altogether lovely. We cannot sit down until he comes because of who he is. He's the one who is altogether lovely. Notice this. It also said that when Samuel saw him, he took that horn of oil and he anointed him to be king in the midst of his brethren. By the way, Saul had been anointed with a vial of oil. A vial is a vase or a, a clay uh, pot, pottery piece that's been made by man and easily broken. But a horn is that horn of an animal, the horn of a ram, which is made by God himself and which cannot be broken by human hands. What man does not only can but will be brought down, but what God does shall be forever. And he took that horn of oil and he anointed him. And David became the Lord's anointed. And the Holy Ghost came on him that day and was upon him from, the, from then on. Amen. As the Lord's anointed. And by the way, the word Mashiach or Messiah means nothing more or less than the Lord's anointed. He is God's chosen king. Now, let me tell you who Jesus is. He is God's chosen king. Now, thank God for our government and government that will at least try to recognize God. But one day, all the governments of men are going to fail. And one day, all kings will have to cast their crowns at the feet of the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen king. That is the Lord's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord's anointed. He's God's chosen king. In Psalm 2, God said, I have... I have uh, I have chosen, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I have set my king upon my holy hill. God's already chosen who's going to reign over this thing, amen. And it's going to be his own son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 89 goes on to say, God will never make it, break his promise to David. His seed will sit on his throne forever and forever and forever. And that seed is our Savior the Lord Jesus. We can't sit down. The king is coming and we must be about his business because one day the Lord's anointed is going to come in person and he's going to take the scepter and going to take the crown and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness. Now secondly, I want you to consider this. We cannot sit down until he comes not only because of who he is but because of who we are. You know, if you don't realize who you are, if we don't realize what we have, we won't be very grateful to God for what He's done for us. Now, it's easy to sit down when you don't recognize who you are, but think for just a moment what the Lord has done for you. You say, who are we, preacher? Well, the Scripture says we're God's heritage. Micah chapter 7 and 14 speaks of the Lord who is to come as a shepherd feeding his heritage, feeding his flock. 
And we are the Lord's flock. We are the Lord's heritage. Amen. Acts chapter 20 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto the flock of God, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I'll tell you who we are. We're God's flock. We're God's sheep. The sheep of his pastor, Psalm 100. Amen. It's not we that we have not made ourselves, but it's he that has made us. He made us his own people. He ransomed us and redeemed us and bought us with God's own blood. There's been a price paid for you. And it was not silver and gold, but it was the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without spot and without blemish, the highest price ever paid for any commodity has been paid for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has said, and I believe it is true, that God did not give out of his abundance when he gave his son. God exhausted his abundance when he gave the Lord Jesus to die for you and me. In other words, God, had, God gave everything in heaven that was worth giving when he gave Jesus for you and me. We're God's heritage. We're his people. The sheep of his pasture. I belong to him. The, the same girl in the Song of Solomon said, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Amen. You have that sense of belonging, that sense of being his property. We are his heritage. We are his inheritance. We are God the Father's gift or inheritance that he's given to his own son. It's you and me. Not only are we God's heritage, but we are God's household. Ephesians chapter 2, we hear it, that we are the household of God. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. By the way, I said a moment ago here in the story, there's a picture of the Jews waiting for a king, but he's away tending another flock. He came unto his own, and he, they received him not, and so he went to the Gentiles. Amen. And all of God's plan for Israel has been put on hold for a future day. But in the meantime, he's calling out a church, he's calling out a body, he's calling out a building, he's calling out a bride for his son. Amen. And the scripture says, Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but that's exactly what we used to be. The Gentiles were strangers. In times past, the Gentiles in the flesh, we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where we were, without God and without hope in the world. We were in an awful state, in an awful condition, lost and without help. I like verse number 13 that says, But now, <laughs> in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. <laughs> that blood that redeemed us also made us a part of the family of God. And now therefore you're no more strangers and no more foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, amen, and of the household of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We get to be a part of the family of God. By the way, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You don't get in on what mama's got and what daddy's got until you get it for yourself. 
we're all the children of God, Galatians 3, by faith in Christ Jesus. But God does have youngins and he's got a big family. And when you got born again, you were born into the family of God. Hey, you can't quit on God. We're a part of the family of God. We won't sit down until he comes because we're God's household. We're also God's habitation. Do you see what else it says in those verses? It says of the saints and the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We are God's habitation. Now your habitation is where you live. Do you know what God's address is? Let me tell you what God's address is. It's wherever two or three are gathered in my name. <laughs> there I am in the midst of them. <laughs> Let me tell you where God lives. He lives in his holy temple. And it's not a temple made out of wood and glass and steel and concrete and thank God for buildings and we have to have them. But that's not where God lives. He lives in the flesh and blood temples. He lives in the hearts of his people. Amen. And the people of God, the church of God, ransomed and redeemed from sin, born into the family of God, are like a big building made out of living stones. A holy temple. And that's where God shows up. And that's where God dwells. And that's where God shows up and sometimes shows off. Amen. And that's where heaven meets with earth. And that's where God transacts his business. And God's instrument and habitation in this world is the local church. I'm glad to be a part of the greatest institution on the face of God's earth. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're God's habitation. Do you realize who you are? Then we're also God's husbandry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're his husbandry. And you say, what does that mean? Simply means, put it means we're God's farmers. We're, we're in the business. God, God is a great husbandman, James says, book of James says, and we're God's husbandry. God's got a big farm and we're his farm workers. We're his farm hands. We're God's hands in this world in the business of sowing and reaping. And I can promise you, I used to say, if you don't plant anything, nothing will come up, but that's not true. If you don't plow some ground and plant something, I promise you something will come up. But it'll be no good. It'll be covered over with briars and thorns and weeds and bushes and it'll only be fit for the burning. And that's why we're here to plow some ground. Sometimes it's rough plowing a new ground. It's easy to plow where men have plowed before. But sometimes we got to pull out rocks and grub stumps, but we can, plow out, we can plow up the ground and make a field and then put something in the ground. But we have a promise that if we'll put something in the ground, God will water it and God will smile on it <laughs> and God will watch over it and God will give the increase. Amen. But God uses you and me to sow the seed 
And God uses us to water the seed and God, with the water of the word. And God uses us to reap in the fields for his glory, amen, and to bring in the sheaves, as the old song says. Hey, we're part of the work of God, reaping down the fields, gathering in the grain. We can't quit on God. We're God's husbandry. We're also God's holy nation. We're a chosen generation. A, a holy nation. Amen. A, a peculiar people, Peter said, that we should show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're God's special people. Amen. Special unto himself. His chosen generation. His royal priesthood. God's holy nation. Do you realize who you are? How can we quit on God? Amen. We're part of, of God's people, a peculiar people. And that word peculiar doesn't just mean strange, although sometimes we act that way. <laughs> and although, although the world thinks of us that way. But that word peculiar means, it, it, it's, a, it's a picture word, and the picture is a dot with a circle drawn around it. And the circle is God's territory, and the dots on the inside of it, it belongs exclusively to him. And, the, and the, the picture here is that God is the circle, and you and me are the dots. <laughs> We're his peculiar property. We belong to him and him alone. The world doesn't have any claim on us. And we're not a part of it. He separated us from it once and for all when he saved us. And ain't no use trying to go back to it. When God saved us, he spoiled us to this world. And you say, well, I know some people that got saved went back to the world. If they were saved, they're the most miserable people on the face of God's earth. And they'll never, they'll never be happy until they get right with God. Amen. We're his peculiar people. Hey, hey we're, we're, God loves us so much. We're in his circle and he's looking at us all the time and can't take his eyes off us. Why would I want to take my eyes off of somebody that loves me so much they would never take their eyes off of me? <laughs> Amen. We're God's holy nation. Hey, we're God's heirs. I mean, this is not all of it. Hey, this is good. The singing this morning, the praying this morning, and the good service, and we've been listening, uh, coming up on the radio, all the wonderful things that are going on this. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? Amen. Isn't it good to be on your way to heaven? Yes. Isn't it glorious to be a part of the family of God? Yes. If this was all there was, it'd be wonderful. Amen? Sure. Well, I don't know. Paul said if this was all there was. <laughs> and we still got to go back home to our problems. We still got to go back to our burdens. We still got to face life every day. And Paul said, if this was all there was, if this really was all there was, we would be of most men all miserable. Amen. Let reality set in. Because it is that when that reality sets in often that men decide to quit. They go to the house of God to enjoy the blessings. They go back to their problems and their problems get them down. But I got some good news. This ain't all of it. <laughs> Amen. 
Amen. In fact, the best is yet to come. Hey, thank God for the blessings now, but one day when we see Jesus. The songwriter said, one look at his dear face, all sorrow shall erase. So bravely run the race. In other words, keep on keeping on and don't quit. Because one day we're going to see him. Job said, I'm going to see him for myself. He sounded a little bit selfish, but you know what? Every one of us can say the same thing. I get to see him for myself and not another. Amen. I'm going to be there in person, Brother Whittemore, and see the Lord Jesus with my own eyes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I've seen him in the pages of the word of God. I've seen him in the lives of the people of God. I've seen him when I was caught up in the spirit of God in moments of rapture. But one day, hallelujah, we're going to see him face to face. And here's the best part. He's going to claim us. Amen. <laughs> There's some other folk that are going to see him one day too, but they're going to hear him say, depart from me. But we're going to see him, and he's going to say, welcome home. And oh, to hear the words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. I don't want to quit, amen. I don't want to give up. I don't want to lay my armor down. I don't want to put my sword away. I want to keep on keeping on with. It's all of this in heaven too. Amen. And there is laid up for us an inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled. That fadeth not away. Oh, one day. We're God's heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And you know that joint heirs means that we, have, we share whatever belongs to the, to the main heir, the first heir, we share whatever belongs to him. Do you know what belongs to him? The scripture said, For the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He owns it all. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hand. This world and all the world. They belong to him. I, I think about Jacob when he said, Lord, I'm unworthy of the least of thy blessings. And I don't even deserve to be there. But I'm going to be there. And there's going to be something waiting for me on the other side. We can't sit down until he comes because of who we are. We're God's heaven-bound people. We're God's heaven-bound people. Israel is God's earth-bound people. They're bound to this earth. Their promises are. Their covenants are. Their doctrine. Their, 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 uh, their covenants are. But the church is God's heaven-bound people. 
And in, in Hebrews chapter 10, these people had become so discouraged that they were ready to quit. And the writer's trying to encourage them to keep on keeping on. And he says, call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated and you endured a great fight of afflictions. He's encouraging these people who had gone through more in their lifetime than you and I will ever have to face. And they'd come to the place where they were ready just to give it all up. And then he said, for you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You have where? In heaven. You get your eyes on the earthly, I promise you, you want to quit. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been in the battle. You get your eyes on this world and it'll make you want to quit. But the writer said, don't forget, in heaven, <laughs> you have a more enduring substance. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and not tarry. He said, just hang on a little bit longer. <laughs> hang in there just a little bit longer because it won't be long till Jesus comes. And when he comes, you can lay it down and leave it. <laughs> There's some burdens we'll have to bear till the day we die. There's some crosses we'll have to carry until crossing time comes. There's some scars that we'll wear until that day. But when Jesus comes, we'll lay it down. And we'll leave it here. And we'll go to a land that is fairer than day. <laughs> And by faith I can see it afar where the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place. That this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blood. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. And the banks here on this side are stormy. But I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land. And that's where my possessions lie. And one day the waters will roll back heap upon heap and we'll cross over Jordan and enter that good land. It's a land of milk and honey. It's a land where the houses we didn't have to build. It's a land where the vineyards that we didn't have to plant. It's a land that's everything God said it would be and more. And most of all, the Lord is that. And it's my home. And one sweet day I'm going home. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, who shall change this vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his own glorious body. And I'll have a body that I can enjoy that good land in, in that day. And be able to live forever with the people of God. We cannot sit down. We can't quit. 
because of who he is and because of who we are. But then we can't sit down until he comes because I'll give you this last thing. We can't sit down until he comes because there'll be plenty of time for sitting when he gets here. Amen. It's not time to sit down yet. It's time to get busy right now. It's time to get the job done. It's time to get the work done. Men around us are perishing without God. They'll never be sad. Unless God's people get busy. And get the work done. There'll be plenty of time to sit down when Jesus comes. And we're going to sit with him one day. We're going to sit with him, first of all, on clouds of rapture. Hey, did you know just any day, just any time, just any moment, there might be a ta-da-ta-da. God's going to call time. And we're leaving here. The dead are going to rise incorruptible. The living are going to be changed together. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. And on clouds of rapture, we're going to sit with him and take our plane, our ride to glory. Amen. We're going to be with him in that day. Present and accounted for. We've talked about it. We've dreamed about it. We've sung about it. We've looked forward to it. And one day, maybe today, it could be a reality. Before this sheriff-on is over, Jesus might come. Before this service is over, that trumpet might sound. And on clouds of rapture, we'll sail away home. Not only will we sit with him on clouds of rapture, but one day we'll sit with him around the Father's throne. Did, did you notice that over there in Revelation chapter 4? John heard that voice like a trumpet. Da-da-da-da. And he heard a voice say, come up hither. And somebody said, well, that's the rapture. Well, it may, picture, it may represent the time and picture the rapture, but when John got there, the church was already there. And he said, I saw a throne. But then he said, around that throne, I saw 24 thrones. Now, if you know anything about that number 24 in Scripture, it's the number of the priesthood. In the Old Testament, they divided the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, into 24 courses. And they served by course at the tabernacle and at the temple. It's the number. And not only are these on, the thr- on their thrones robed in white, but on their heads they have crowns of gold. And they identify himself when they sing the new song, when they say, worthy is a lamb. That was slain. They say, who redeemed us, thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every people and every kindred and every nation and every tongue and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. The 24 elders represent God's royal priesthood, the church, seated with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2 said that when he saved us, he raised us up together with Christ. He quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together with Christ. And he seated us with him in heavenly places. Now, I'll be honest with you as far as John saw them already there. And as far as God the Father is concerned, they're already there. And I get in a good meeting like this, I feel like I'm there. (laughs) 
But one day we're going to be there. Seated around the throne of God. And you know, I don't find anybody standing up and poking out their chest and rearing back and strutting there saying, look what I did. And telling about how I made it through. When the king stands up, they fall on their faces. And they sing, worthy as a lamb. For he redeemed us by his blood. But we get to be there. <laughs> One day we're going to sit down in heaven around the throne of God. And then, because that, there will be plenty of time for sitting when he comes, because one day we're going to sit at the marriage supper. Amen. Revelation chapter 19 says it. When all of that awful time of, of tribulation uh, is done, look at what it says in chapter number 19 and verse number 7. There's a cry that goes up all over and echoes all across heaven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his bride, his wife, has made herself ready. And they, they put on her wedding gown. It was granted to her that she should be arrayed in fine linen, white and clean, for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Did, did you know that, that in the old days, in olden times, when a young Jewish man had betrothed himself to a young girl, often she was poor and, and couldn't even afford her own wedding dress. He provided it. He made the provision. Not only that, he provided the garments for all the wedding guests. Amen. And one day I stood bankrupt before God. I couldn't afford a wedding garment. I stood in the rags of my sin, filthy and undefiled. But he took it all away. And he wrapped me up in the righteousness of the Son of God. And he clothed me in that fine linen, white and clean. And he said to me, Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now can I say this? God doesn't have to say something is true. God just has to say it. It is true. But when God says it and then he says you can count on it, you can count on it. It's true. The covenant in Hebrews that God made, it said that he, he, to show the immutable counsel of his will, he swore it with an oath. And because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. <laughs> Amen. You got God's word on it. If you've been saved by the grace of God, if you've been born into the family of God, there's a long table in heaven at a marriage supper where a place has been reserved for you. There's a seat there with a name tag on it that's yours and ain't nobody else can sit there but you. Reservations have already been made in heaven. And I think right now they're rolling out the red carpet. And I think the, choir, the musicians are tuning up their instruments and the choir is practicing up. Here comes the bride.
And soon and very soon, one old preacher up home said, I don't know how big that table is, but I think it stretches from one end of eternity to the other. <laughs> well, I don't know how big it is either, but I know it's big enough. And I'll meet you there one day. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life at the marriage supper, one day we'll sit down in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then one day we will sit with him on white horses. Amen. Somebody said, I never have rode a horse. You're going to if you're saved. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the scripture says that when he came, that the armies of heaven followed him. In chapter 19 and verse number of course, John saw heaven open. He saw the Lord himself coming on a great white horse. And then he said, the armies of heaven followed him upon white horses. And notice who they are. You know who they are by what they wear. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Amen. That's his church. That's me and you. And one day we're coming back with the Lord. Amen. I don't know who it was said he left here like Superman and he's coming back like the Lone Ranger, but it's true. <laughs> Only this time there'll be no mask and this time he will not be alone. <laughs> he's coming back and every eye will see him and they'll know exactly who he is. And he'll have his blood-bought saints with him when he returns. And we'll sit with him there on white horses. When he does come, he's coming to rule and to reign this earth, on this earth. And when he does take his throne, we will sit with him in his throne here. Revelation 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Have you done that? And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. And one day the king will come. And one day there will be peace on earth. And one day the glory of the Lord will flood this planet like the waters that cover the sea. One day the wolf and the, and the lamb and the lion will lay down together. One day the children will play on the hole of the cockatrice and the ass because they won't bite or be poisoned anymore. One day the plowman will overtake the reapers. And one day the glory of God will be everywhere to be seen. And when he, the son of David, sits enthroned in glory on this earth, you know wherever the king sits, the queen sits too. In the throne room, there are two thrones. His and hers. And one day we'll sit down with him when he takes his seat on the throne of David. This is maybe one sad point of the message, but it's so. One day we'll sit with him at the great white throne. One day... John said, I saw the throne and he that sat upon it before whose face heaven and earth fled away and the books were opened and the dead came out of hell and came out of the earth, came out of the sea 
And one by one, they filed before the throne of God. One by one, the books were searched to see if there was any record of their name. And do you realize that one day when the Son of God sits down on the great white throne to be the judge of all the dead, all the wicked dead, all the unrighteous dead, all the unsaved dead, all the God-haters, all the Christ-rejecters of all the ages, that when he sits in his throne, his church will sit with him. Paul said, know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? And I believe that reference was made to that day. How sad it will be that day to sit with him in that throne and see our own friends file by and to see our own neighbors pass by the throne and to see our own family members make their appearance at the great right throne. Maybe it's a mom, maybe it's a dad, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a brother. And to hear the words depart from me. I never knew you. And there'll be many in that day who'll stand there who never knew the Lord. But may it never, may it never, may it never be our fault. And may we never have our, their blood on our hands. May we have done our dead level best to do our all for Christ while we're here. Not to waste one moment. Not to falter. Not to fail. Not to sit down. On the job that he's given us to do. As they file by one by one and hear them say, I never knew you. The sadness of that hour will pass into the glory of another hour when we will sit down a final time with him. And that is when he sits on the throne of his eternal glory. When the judgment of the wicked dead is over and the earth is made new. And there literally is a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more serpent. And we stand with him by, or sit with him by a pure river of water of life proceeding out of the throne of God. When we see the street that's made of gold and the tree of life and all the fruit of it and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and His servants shall serve Him and they shall see His face and His name shall be in their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need of a candle nor light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and there enthroned with him, they shall reign forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And there'll be plenty of time for sitting when Jesus comes. There'll be time to rest. There'll be a time to sit down. There'll be a time to take it easy. But that time is not now. These are the days for us. These are the days for us to rise to the occasion. These are the days for us to seize our moment. These are the days for us to stand up as the people of God. These are the days for us to give our all and to do our best. These are the days for us to surrender 
and give it all to Him. These are the days for us to take advantage of the time that God has given us to sow in time what we shall reap in eternity. We cannot, we must not back up. We cannot slow up. We cannot give up. We cannot despair. We cannot throw in the towel. We just can't quit. We cannot. We must not. We will not sit down until he comes. God bless you.